You're listening to Hungry for More, an Epicurean's Dilemma, and I'm your host, Trish Close. Chef Adrian Martin on the podcast today. He's currently the executive chef at Parkhurst Wine Cellars. That's a winery and tasting room in Southern Oregon, in my neck of the woods. Adrian was born in Texas, but he grew up in St. Martin in the Caribbean. Dad had a restaurant, a Texas barbecue restaurant, of course. Adrian says it was very popular in St. Martin. So he's no stranger to food. He's no stranger to working in a kitchen. Not really something he wanted to do, though. Mom suggested, why don't you go to France and go to culinary school? Um, We can get you an apartment. Adrian was 16. Talk about this a little bit. Uh, Spent four years there going to culinary school. After that, he did all sorts of things. Private chef, uh, culinary tours across the United States. Um, But he worked a lot on yachts as a chef. A lot. In fact, a lot of people have seen him on a season of Below Deck, reality TV show on Bravo. So we talk a lot about chefing on yachts, the challenges, the appeal. He has great stories about nightmare guests. Great. In the last couple of years, though, he decided time to settle down a bit, planted some roots in Oregon, recently had a baby, and then, yes, again, landed this gig at a winery as the executive chef. So we talk a lot about food, but really what I got out of this conversation, first of all, Adrian's very funny, so we had a good time. Uh, But he talked a lot about authenticity, being your true self to show to others, and honor. Here's Adrian Martin. Uh, I have to say, I love that you're at work right now. You're, are you in the kitchen? Are you in the tasting room? Where are you? I'm in the crew, um, crew lounge. Kind of, this is where, where we eat kind of, I wasn't going to do it in the tasting room, but it's just people are doing construction. There's so much stuff going on right now. It's like, this is not going to work. There is a lot of stuff going on right now. Adrian Martin, executive chef at Parkhurst Wine Cellars. Although you've done so many other things, we are going to talk about your new gig at Parkhurst. Um, Parkhurst is a tasting room and winery in Southern Oregon in my neck of the woods. Um, and you signed on, was it this year to be the executive chef? Yes, it was about mid-July. Fantastic. Um, but like I said, you've done a lot of different things. A lot of people may know you. Um, you were on a little show called <laughs> Below Deck on Bravo, right? Yeah. We're going to yeah, talk I about did. that too. Did season six. Yes, season six. Um, but you also, I mean, we're going to talk about all of these things, but you um, also do culinary tours, right? You travel. Yeah, I've been doing for the past, what is it, five to almost six years. I've been touring the U.S. I've been doing East Coast trips and West Coast trips, um, just doing private dinners in all the major cities pretty much, and kind of wherever people want me to go, as long as it's on the coast and it aligns with my day. Right, exactly. It has to be about you, right? Uh, Adrian Martin, where are you from originally? Uh, I was born in Texas. Um Grew up there or lived there until I was three, then moved to Florida for a year and then moved to the Caribbean from S- to St. Martin when I was four years old. So I'd say I'm from St. Martin, although my grandmother would say I'm from Texas. <laughs> of course. Of course. Yeah, you don't mess around with that. Uh, don't mess with Texas. Um, St. Martin, I know there's there's two sides to St. Martin, right? Yeah, there's a French side and a Dutch side. And you lived on the... So we had a barbecue restaurant on the Dutch side, and then I did my schooling on the French side. So I'd commute every day to to go to a French school, and then I'd go back every evening to to the Dutch side. So you you had a barbecue restaurant. What kind of barbecue? 
called Texas Pit Barbecue. Stop. <laughs> really? Stop. <laughs> That's so awesome. On the island. Yeah, on the island. And it, it was really fun. My father, he was from Louisiana originally, and he just came up with this really cool concept. You know, I mean, it wasn't a game changer, but in the Caribbean, they love barbecue and they just, they're not really good at it. You know, they'll grill things and, you know, just do basic grilling, but they had never really experienced smoking meats. So you got these big machines, massive smokers come from America and we'd smoke brisket and the long ribs for like 16, 20 hours with sea grape wood that we'd go harvest on the beach. And it was, it was phenomenal. Yeah, it really, really did good. Um, I worked in the restaurant from when I was about eight till 15. I would bartend and do the food. And my father was a, a blues and jazz musician too. So he'd play music with the band while I'd be bartending and making food. So yeah, it was a fun gig. Sounds like it. Dad sounds amazing. Yeah, it was cool. It was um, great growing up. So you kind of answered my question. I was going to ask you if food was important growing up. Sounds like it was very important. Oh yeah, big time. Yeah. I mean, um, I come from a pretty diverse family. My father's side is from Mississippi. They have a lot of Cajun influences, a lot of native influences. So he grew up with all that. And he grew up in the 30s, 40s in Louisiana, Mississippi, you know, with all the all those influences. Um, and then my mother's side of the family, her parents were from Serbia. And then her, so her dad was from Serbia and her mother was from Italy. And so there were like, and then they grew up in France. So there was just like melting pot of influences. I was just going to say that a melting pot of uh, flavors. Did mom cook? Yeah, she cooked a lot. My father as well. Um, and it was especially the grandmas. The, my Both of my grandmothers were incredible chefs. My father was an incredible chef. He was very precise, like used recipes all the time. Um, my mother was a little bit more free flow. And I'd say that I'm fully free flow. Like I, I really have a hard time doing recipes. So you're more kind of you're cooking from the hip. That's it. Yeah, I'm, I'm instinctive, I'd say, you know, and so it's never the same, but that's what makes it fun. It'd be boring for me if it was always the same. So at a young age, did you know that this is what you wanted to do then? No, not at all. I mean, I loved food. I, I love to eat, really. You know, I like to cook, but just so I could eat it. <laughs> um, and when I was about 14 years old, my mother was like, listen, you know, you you seem to like food. I was quite chubby. <laughs> and she was like... Uh, you're you're half French, so you can go in some of the best cooking schools in Europe or uh, in France uh, for free, basically. You know, and I just I really wanted to move out of the house. I was super independent from a young age, and she was like, "If you get into this prestigious cooking school in Paris, we'll get you your apartment, and you can move off at 16." It's like, okay, let's do it. So she's kind of the one who who put me into that. She had read a bunch of articles about upcoming chefs and how they were the new kind of. Um, you know, it was, it was really a, a, a rising kind of profession that they were getting more notoriety mm -hmm. and especially French chef and cooking in America. I could really, really have a, a great deal. Um, and I didn't I didn't really know if I was going to like cooking, but I was like, yeah, I'll take my own apartment. See you later. Um, moved to France. And over there, I found my passion. I was lucky enough to meet some incredible chefs who really inspired me and uh, and gave that to me. Was it? I mean, I guess growing up with, you know, a family that cooks and you are in a restaurant, I mean, I have to imagine culinary school is completely different. Yes. Yeah, it was very different. I mean, I was coming from the Caribbean, so I came in the first day in my, like, almost a bathing suit and, you know, just really relaxed Caribbean vibe. They're like, 
go home right now. Go get a full suit with tie. You know, they were super, and it was that was the best school in Paris too. So they were really like very intense about it. Um, and so it was interesting because it was at, you go in at 16, so you're still doing all the subjects: math, English, French, whatever. But there's it, it's you have all these culinary aspects of it. So it's um, theory. You have all the science behind hygiene. You have um, wine tastings. You have the service side of it as well. And then you have practical cooking as well. And so I would do two weeks of that and two weeks of work in a restaurant every month. That was kind of my schedule. So I was doing apprenticeships in different restaurants. Wow. And you were 16, 17. So, yeah, I started at 16. I did from my 16 to my 20 over there. Good grief. So 16 by yourself in Paris in an apartment. That's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was right, that like, right, Adrian? <laughs> right next to the Moulin Rouge, too, too. It was like in the craziest neighborhood in Paris. So it was fun. I mean, it was hard at times, but I met a, a lot of cool people. Um, I started dating this girl that was from Paris, and her family lived right there. And so her mm. family kind of took me in. So I had a lot of support from them. Um, yeah, it was, it was definitely not easy every day, but it was something that really made me grow. You know, my parents had trusted me so much they were not wealthy you know and they were putting the little money they had for me to be able to have an apartment over there so I felt like I really owed it to them to to do a good job um sure yeah, I did I mean but talk about independence like I think I don't think a lot of 16 year olds would be like gung-ho like absolutely own apartment in a different country where you know I kind of maybe speak the language or I don't speak the language or whatever um but yeah that's super independent yeah, I mean, I was fluent in French, um, and I had been to France a bunch, so I, I felt comfortable in the country. Um, and from, yeah, when I was eight, nine years old, I started making pretty good money at my father's restaurant. So, like I said, they didn't have much money, so they were kind of very honest with me. They're like, well, right. if you want, buy it yourself. And so from that age on, like, I would buy pretty much all my stuff, my Pokemon cards, I'd go to movie theater, you know, and St. Martin is very free in that sense, or was in the day, like I would be hitchhiking at nine, 10 years old, I'd take the bus to go to the movie theater at night. It was very, it was a very free life. Um, so they trusted me. And I gave them back that trust. And so from a young age, they saw that I, I was already very independent. And I think that's what gave them that, that trust in me, basically. And, and it all worked out. It absolutely did. That's amazing. Um, so you're in culinary school, you finish. What's your idea of like, what's next? Like what in your head, what do you plan to do? What do you want to do with all of this knowledge you have? I wasn't really sure. I mean, I had been through really great patches and very rough patches too. Um, during those four years, I had worked in three-star Michelin restaurants where I got my ass kicked and people were really, the chefs were horrible, you know, and I was like, oh, I don't know if that's really what I want to do, but I still wanted to go further in it. Like the last two years I did in um, the Four Seasons in Paris, the Georges V, which is, it was one of the most prestigious places you could be. We were 80 chefs in there, or all groups, you know, between chefs, sous chefs, apprentice. I was just an apprentice in there, but I mean, the, the, the level of pressure and animosity that everybody had towards each other was just something that I didn't really want to keep on experiencing. Um, I wanted to travel through Europe a little bit. So I found a gig in Holland in Amsterdam. I was working. I went to a three-star Michelin in Amsterdam. Same deal. The chef was a nightmare. He was this big British chef. And he'd just take me and shake me and call me retard. I mean, it was just like, it was a nightmare. So I lasted a couple of months over there and I was like, you know what? I'm going to the Caribbean. I'll, I'll go do my life over there. You know, I'm going to go back. 
I know that there's a lot of incredible restaurants in St. Martin, seeing as it's half French, we have a really phenomenal like food industry over there. We have produce coming from France every week. It's just really developed. Um, so I'll just go over there and do the seasons and see what flows. So yeah, I did Holland for a couple months, went back to the Caribbean. And from there, I started working in really nice restaurants and just getting more knowledge. Um, so I did one season in St. Martin and then my father, who was a yacht captain as well, he was working for these folks who had um, a 90 foot Norwegian icebreaker that they had remodeled into a beautiful yacht and they were about to do a three month trip in Canada. And so it's like, you know what, why don't you try this? So I went for it. Did three months on this yacht as sole chef for a family. It went really well, but I felt like I was missing experience because you need to be super well-rounded to be a yacht chef. You need to know starters, main courses, desserts, any type of cuisine. I mean, people literally anything at any time and you need to be able to whip it out. Um, so I felt like I was missing a little bit. So I went back to the restaurants, did a couple more seasons in, in French restaurants in St. Martin. In the summer, I would go to Europe. So I did a couple seasons in Spain and Michelin star restaurants over there. Just kept expanding on my knowledge. And when I was 23, uh, my best friend's mother offered me a yacht gig. She was a stewardess. Her boyfriend was a captain. She was like, come on this catamaran. We have a 75 foot catamaran. We're doing a bunch of gigs, you know, and like it could be fun. So I tried out the yachting deal again and it went super well. I mean, we did a couple months. We rocked it. Like people were so happy. Then out of the blue, I did a, a yacht chef competition, which I won within like I had 24 hour notice when people were preparing for months ahead. And I was like 15 years younger than everybody else. But it just really like catapulted me. Like people started writing articles and stuff like that. And the industry just just wanted me basically so i just had an amount of work that was staggering for the next you know forever basically mm -hmm. so from that moment on i would just work when i wanted to so i'd go and i'd do three four or five months of work uh in the caribbean i'd do sometimes uh, med season so a couple months in the med and the rest of the time i'd go to asia to south america wherever i wanted on vacation basically so i'd usually work maybe five to six months a year and travel five to six months a year wow. to like develop myself personally and also develop my my culinary knowledge basically um i mean because everywhere you go you know the, the cultures are so diverse and you you really learn how people do it i spent months in india learning how to work spices you know in thailand how to work the fifth flavor the chilies the things like that in peru understanding all the ways of like ceviches and marinating and so i just yeah i really just traveled a lot for for quite a long time super smart because you're picking up like you just said all of these different techniques um you're introducing yourself to maybe spices or things or flavors that you've never either e like either tried or incorporated into your own cooking right so you're mm -hmm. just like a little sponge yeah that's it it was yeah and it was it was for my culinary self and for my spiritual self as well i felt like the growth i was having was exponential because everywhere i went i was discovering like a new mm -hmm. way of seeing the world as well mm -hmm. which is so important which was and is still so important to me and it's it it, it sees itself in my food too because like everything you experience you put on a plate and you give to other people you know so it's like yeah even a tapestry on the wall or a scent or it's just something you saw on the street or a person you met can inspire you to do a dish so it's, it was really feeding me on all parts Love it. Um, I want to back up a little bit. Sounds like you you said your dad was a yacht captain as well. Yeah, he was a yacht captain 
before he was um, before he was a chef. So when we opened that restaurant in St. Martin, he was still doing yachting. So we opened the St. Martin and he was he would spend like three to four months on island and then the rest of the time he'd be on the yacht. So going back and forth. Um, and then the yacht he was on had it, he ran into something in the Gulf of Mexico. Who knows what? He thinks it was a container or some kind of log or something. The yacht sank. And so he was stranded in the middle of the Gulf with two other people and he got picked up by a cruise ship by luck who say they saved his life. I know. But so after that, he put pause in the whole yachting industry, came to St. Martin, focused on the restaurant, took it back from the people we had put in management. And we just went full throttle from when I was about eight years old. Good grief. Um, so and then I want to go back a little bit. You said, you know, you're working in these restaurants overseas and in, in Europe with horrible horrible chefs and i i've heard a few stories and a lot of people are like why would you tolerate that why would you stay there and it's you know i it makes sense to me if this is your passion if this is something that you truly love you just do it right in in the hopes that you're going to move up and move on and and find a better setting i guess yeah well for me it was understanding all the the different modalities of cooking like how how chefs do it, how they gain respect too, you know, because I saw such a, a diverse array of kitchens. So I would see chefs that would gain respect by fear. I would see chefs that would gain respect by love, by respect, you know, by just being themselves and, and honor, you know, and people wanted to do good to honor them. And I just wanted to learn from the best, basically. And the best aren't always nice people. So it was just, yeah, I was just flowing, you know, and I would push myself and, handle it as long as I could. And then when I would feel like my boundaries were being pushed a little too far, then I'd be, see you later. <laughs> Peace <laughs> Just, out, you know. homies. Do you also find too that in those situations and those scenarios, I mean, you're a leader in your own right, in your own way, and you kind of figure out how the kind of leader that you want to be, right? In your kitchen. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That's, that's what it is, you know, because so I mean, I've, never really been a leader in the sense of taking over a kitchen until now um and that's why the yachting industry was so appealing because i was my own boss right. you know times have sous chefs but the sous chefs will help you here and there but they're mainly for crew food because i mean when you have like 15 crew on a yacht you need somebody that can focus on that so you can focus on the guests so the most i've ran teams was on yachts when when we do charters with novices when people didn't really know what they were doing in terms of like the stewardesses or the mates and stuff like that because sometimes i was doing a lot of freelance so i'd get sent on yachts with crews that were just they had no clue they had never done any charters so then i had to take control of the team um but i've never really taken control of a culinary team like this so all that experience every kitchen that i've seen has given me kind of what I need to be able to do this. And I'm still getting my bearings in, you know, it's, it's hard because it's like, I'm a very, I'd say, easygoing person. Like I want to be friends with people, but at the same time I want respect. So it's like, it's a fine line, you know, but that thing where you're just aggressive with people, I just can't handle. But sometimes you need to shout a little bit to, <laughs> to gain respect as well. So it's really this thing that I'm trying to learn where, Sometimes I'll, I'm a little bit too nice and people will push my boundaries a little too far. So you have to find a middle ground and be like, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. Um, I've had bosses and I've been the boss and I feel that's right on. And I think when you don't yell a lot or you're not maybe a little bit more forceful all of the time than when you are, 
it carries a lot more weight, right? I think, yeah. And it's like, oh, Adrian's serious in this moment. (laughs) Like, let's not fuck around and let's get down to business. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. You can only push it so far, you know, for me, it's respect. That's the biggest thing. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. everybody's doing their best here. And that's what's so important because we're all putting our necks out. You know, everybody is, everybody's name is involved in this. You know, we're, we're all trying to make it work. If it works for uh, for one of us, it works for all of us. And that's really the mentality we have here. And that's what attracted me to this whole situation with Mark and Susan, because they were very open about that. They're like, we want, everybody to be stoked you know we want everybody to come in every day and just be so happy to be here we don't want it to be like a work situation like oh i'm going to work again you know so that that really attracted me and that i feel is what going what's going on everybody's super happy to be here yeah it's so important well and when it comes to the kitchen crew that's on your shoulders like that's up to you to make sure that they're happy to come into work every day oh yeah definitely but it's not it's up to me but it's also up to like owners and you know everybody to to make employees feel like they're respected in terms of you know salary in terms of leave whatever I feel like it's it's a super well-rounded establishment in that sense like mark and susan make sure that everybody is heard and i make sure that everybody's heard and michael makes sure that everybody's heard that's the most important thing that i tell my crew i'd say at least a couple times a week i'm like hey you know you have something you want to talk about don't hesitate you know whatever it may be just come on let's talk about it if you want to talk about it with mark and susan or me or whoever we're, we're here for you you know like we all have to feel that you know? and if i have something to tell you don't worry i'll tell you too <laughs> <laughs> i love it that's one of the biggest things on yachts because you're stuck with these people like 24 7 for months at a time you know and so that communicate that open communication is such such an important skill to have on those yachts and it it really um it taught me a lot being on those boats because when you leave emotions pent up or just frustrations then it creates resentment and it just like snowballs into anger that you know outbursts and things like that so we're we're trying to break that cycle here and just be very open about everything beautiful and mark and susan Enlow are the co-proprietors of parkhurst wine cellars i just wanted to throw that out because you we're saying Mark and Susan, and I know who you're talking about, but just want to make sure we clarify that. Let's get back to working on yachts. I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, work being a chef on a yacht is very specific. Like, yeah, you can't really get more specific than this is this is my job for the next you know three weeks or one month or whatever. It's yeah, it's funny because it's specific and vague at the same time because every yacht. <laughs> different every guest is different so what i was doing mostly was charters so it's like mostly week week long charters and so every week you have a different mm-hmm. guest you know a different different group of guests that arrive which can be three guests or it can be 12 so it's like really reading into what they need do they want to be left alone do they want interaction what kind of food do they want you know you really have to read their minds because you give them a preference sheet but the preference sheet is like, you know, how much can you say about what you like and what you don't like on the preference sheet? You can say the big things, you know, but it's like you can't you can't really go in depth. So it's you have to be a little psychic, you know, and just like read people really well and be like, okay, how is everybody feeling today? Even it has to do with everything. The weather. How's the weather today? Is it windy and cold? Do we want kind of more hearty dishes? Everybody's gonna stay inside. Is it super sunny, hot? People just want things on the fly. So it's it's really important to be able to to read the guest on a daily basis, you know, and just see what the vibe is. Um, and then food is the same. Just be super adaptable because once we go off 
off the porch. So guests come on board the boat and then within half an hour, we're off at sea. There's no provisioning or very rarely you can go back to shore to get anything. So it's a lot of freestyling and coming up with solutions because people are like, oh, do you have my low fat yogurt uh, 20%? I was like, well, no, you didn't put it on your preference sheet. Uh, what are we going to do? Okay, let me skim some milk. Dun, 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 I'll make, you know, you just always have to find a solution. You know, you can never say no. Right. Within exceptions. You know, sometimes it's like people want me to fly in liquid nitrogen to make them something like no is not happening today i'm very sorry i i'll I, I would try if i thought i could but i definitely cannot so but yeah very rarely say no <laughs> um yeah and you said you know week charter so it's like every week you're dealing with not only different guests different amounts of guests um different personalities yeah. different food restrictions and dietary restrictions and i love the fact that you said you kind of have to be a mind reader which i think is brilliant because how awesome would it be for someone to be like, this is what you're craving today here? Yeah, that's what I try and do. I love it. And like, I'll never, I never make things that people expect. You know, they're like, oh, they're like, oh, I like lasagna or I like beef wellington or whatever. I'm like, no, I'm not going to make anything that you've ever had. That's boring. I'm sorry, but that is boring. You can go to any restaurant and have a great beef wellington or lasagna or whatever. You're coming here to be surprised. And it was, people were always very surprised because they wanted like a menu. They wanted to know what to expect. And then when they didn't know what to expect, like the first couple of days are a little bit uncomfortable. Like, oh, what are we going to eat today? Then, yeah, within a day or two, it's like, wow, everything's fantastic. Yeah, whatever you want. Dehydrated monkey tail, give it to us. We'll eat. You know, just like, they just like open up in a way that's like, they just give their the keys to their nourishment basically which is such a big deal you know nourishing yourself is a big part of life so trust. to have they trusted yeah, you have that trust and yeah whatever you service will eat and will be stoked is a big thing that i really honored you know and that i yeah i took very seriously and i still do well i mean if you think about it yes nourishing yourself is huge but also food especially now has become such a big deal you have people who will eat anything and everything just don't care. I love those people, by the way. And then you have people who have dietary restrictions. No big deal. You can handle it. And then you just have picky eaters, people who just are very wary about texture or a certain smell or flavor. So I think having these folks, random strangers, putting their trust of you're going to feed me Adrian Martin and you're going to feed me really good food and I'm going to feel good about it. That's a big damn deal. It's a big deal, especially with those people. I mean, people that are renting, you know, hundred thousand to three hundred thousand dollar yachts for, they're they're expecting a level of standard, you know, which is like they just all they want is to be surprised and to be like wowed, basically, and that's really what we're doing at every meal. So it's like breakfast, lunch, dinner, hors d'oeuvres, you know, everything has to just be like wow. We would have never thought of this. You know, we didn't even know we wanted this until we started eating it. That's really the, the biggest part of it. And yeah, there's there are a lot of different types of people. One type of person that you didn't mention as well is the picky eaters, but not because they're actually picky eaters, but because they want attention. And it's a big thing, you know, so it's like every plate. Oh, oh, I don't know. You know, actually, you know, because they want to have a voice. Yeah. Uh, could could you separate this? And do you have something else? Uh, uh, 
So yeah, of course, no problem. I mean, I, I had these one guests. I remember it was so funny. This woman, she was just, she did, she never wanted to eat what everybody else was eating. So I had to make up the craziest stuff. Like it was, it was in my early days. There's the more basic charters. It wasn't like a three hundred thousand year old dollar. I was like a fifty thousand dollar yacht a week, which was still a lot, you know. Came in, she's like, "What are we having for lunch?" I'm like, "Oh, you know, everybody's having like local fish." She's like, "Oh no, I don't want that." It's like, "Okay, well, I have this albino's chicken that we just flew in from uh, the Himalayas." And, uh, she's like, "Oh yeah, I'll have that. Yeah, that sounds great." The next day, I was like. So yeah, I'm just doing like chicken breast for everybody. She's like, oh, I was like, oh, well, we have this fresh snapper that was just fished right off the boat, you know? So I would reverse the things every couple of days and just invent this whole scenario for her. Of, I mean, it was really good produce, obviously, but I had to just fluff it up so much that she would just accept to have it. And she just felt special like that, you know? So you just have to be, sometimes people just want to feel special mm-hmm. and that's okay make you feel special <laughs> i think you could be you could probably be going to counseling at this point just because yeah. you, <laughs> right you've, you've been you've been dealing with so many different personalities um or i could <laughs> sorry say that again or i could be a counselor <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly um i don't know if i would be a good guest for you or a bad guest because you could literally put like hot dogs down in front of me and i would be like dope I love a good hot dog. Yeah. Thanks, chef. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a good guess for me because then you have, you're open to anything I feed you. It's really exciting for me. You know, it's like, if you're requesting hot dogs, like that's the only thing you want. And that's, that's for me is a bad guess. Like that's, that's a tough one. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I promise. I was working a year in New York for these people that had just immense wealth. I was working in their $120 million apartment in New York. The view on Central Park is beautiful. This guy, his favorite food, I kid you not, was a Hebrew national hot dog with Heinz beans. Like that was the must of the must. If I made him that, I was like, I can make you the hot dog and the bun. No, he's like, I just want my Hebrew national hot dog steamed with this bun and a can of Heinz beans. Okay. 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 Yeah. Hey, yeah, that's it. But it was, that was a frustrating job for me. And I was just like, oh, okay, great. Well, you're in a hot box dog. at that point. You're in a little tiny box of hot dogs and beans. That's it. Yeah. It was just Dunkin' Donuts, uh, Dunkin Donuts every morning. I was just like, wow. Oh, his, uh, and it was funny because his wife, she wanted super high end food. She wanted like, but every day she would make up an array of dietary restrictions. So I had a book. Of all the dietary restrictions she had, and at the end it was maybe twenty pages of just like, and it would change weekly. But so I had to write it down with dates on it because she'd be like, I'd serve her something. She's like, Oh, I told you I don't like this. I was like, Actually, no. You see, on the seventh last week, you told me you did like this and you wanted this, you know, or vice versa. You know, so I I had to document everything so that she wouldn't get me because she was always trying to get me like that. Oh my gosh. You are a saint, Adrian. You're a saint. What are the challenges? (laughs) I mean, they may be obvious. What are the challenges working on a yacht, chefing on a yacht? Um, well, the, the movement already is, is a big one, you know, just the constant, um, sway i'd say and then it's a small sway and then it's like so you're like it's just like falling on you so that's a big one 
um, the crew who can be great or who can be really bad, but you're stuck with whoever you got. So that's a tough one. Um, the the fact, like I was talking about earlier, that once you leave the ports, you have no access to provisions, you know? So that's something where, you, I mean, I my shopping for yachts is literally, I have no list. I just go through every aisle, every single aisle of the grocery store and just buy everything that I feel is going to be relevant, you know? And I just stock the kitchen as well as I can because once you leave the port, you have no access to food. So having that just like, being able to freestyle with whatever you have, but as well trying to be as prepared as you can is is a big one. So it's, those are the main challenges, I'd say. And then just dealing with gas, just like you never know what you're going to get. So I've been lucky, I'd say 80% of the time, it was great people. You know, 20% of the time, it was like, uh, or maybe 5% it's like, oh, yeah, I've I been want, lucky. For- I want to know about that 5% nightmare guests. I mean, it's just people that can't be satisfied, you know, it's just like never happy. Everything is not not in particular with the food, but there's always something, you know, it's just like, oh, this and this and this and this and this and just like very overwhelming, you know, more, more, more and this and and more, more, more. You're like, give me a break here, please. I'm doing everything I can. I know. I'm doing everything I can. Um. So then what is the appeal? Because you've you've done this so, so much and for so long. What's the appeal of working on a yacht? The innovation, you know, where it's already I'm my own boss. So I'm cooking, you know, within people's dietary restrictions, I'm cooking whatever I want. So I'm my own chef. And that enabled me to expand my culinary knowledge so much because I wasn't cooking anybody else's portfolio, their recipes, the things, you know, I was, I was creating all everything myself. So it was a big advantage traveling, seeing all these beautiful spots, um, being able to be free as well. Because yachting is very restricting, but it's very free, freeing as well. Because when there are no guests on board, you're on this multi-million dollar yacht and it's basically yours. You're in a guest cabin, you're using the toys. We go anchor in these most beautiful spots. And it's like, so living a lifestyle of, you know, that that I could not live normally because I'm not a billionaire, you know, yeah. but so yeah, it, had, it has a lot of appeal too. It's just exciting. It's an exciting life. Um, how did you get the gig on Below Deck, the reality TV show on Bravo? How'd that happen? I'm not sure. They contacted me. <laughs> okay, rad. <laughs> there, there was a that you know. I guess it's because I had a good name in the industry. I'm I am wondering if it wasn't one of my clients that had some kind of pull in some something that was just like that put a word in for me that was like, oh, you should check out this guy. He's like, you know, I think that's what it is. But yeah, as far as I know, it's just a random or a headhunter that just contacted me. It was like, you know, we know you have a name in the industry. Um, apparently in season five, so the season before me, the guy, the chef had really messed up. He wasn't really a yacht chef. He was just this chef that they had found. I don't know where. And they had a lot of uh, flashback because of this. Um, so a lot of people, a lot of the fans were like, this isn't a real yacht chef. What are you doing? You know, and because they had promoted somebody that they knew was going to bring a lot of drama instead of somebody that could really do what he was meant to be doing, which was cooking, you know, cooking at, at a high level. Um, and so that's why they were looking for somebody that they knew could really do a good job. And I think they hired me because of that. And they were like, oh, you know, I don't think he's going to be too dramatic. But if we push his buttons enough, he'll probably lose his shit. And so they tried. They tried during the whole season. They really, they wanted me to create more drama. And they came to me a couple of times like, do something, scream, fight. I was like, I'm good, bro. Like, you know, this is a high stress environment. 
for sure. But I'm doing my meditation every day and I'm just keeping it cool because for me, the most important thing is my craft. You know, I'm trying to do a good job for these guests because no matter if it's a reality TV or show or whatever, this is my job. This is what I've been doing for years and I'm going to do it as good as I can. All the rest is like, you know, that's not in my contract. You didn't hire me to create drama. You hired me to cook on this boat. So they couldn't do anything, you know, and I'm like, I'm not going to create drama out of nowhere just to get you know 10 more followers like i didn't even have instagram when i did below deck i was like i don't even about your whole thing you know <laughs> just like i was just living my life and I, they came they came to me and i just thought it could be a fun opportunity you know i had no other i just like trying everything in life and i was like cool let's try it out mm-hmm. yeah drama when i think of you i don't think of drama i just think cool as a cucumber and pretty laid back but <laughs> but very focused too at the same time yeah, that's what I try. So that's why you know I have a solid practice and I try and meditate. Just take care of my mind and my body as much as I can because otherwise I'm not close to you. It's work. Yeah, it's yeah. like if I don't, if I don't you know take care of myself and you know yeah. I'm- well, good for you. And I will say the lesson for today is if you do a good job in this world and if you work hard and create a good name for yourself. Um, it pays off, right? Like very much happened to you with the gig at Below Deck. Like you you worked your butt off and you did such a good job and someone put your name in and there you go. That's it. Be true to yourself. You know, that's because a lot of people on that show, they sell out. Mm-hmm. So try and create all this drama to have more following, to have, you know, to make the production happy and things like that. But it's, it's your image. You know, your image is the most, is is your honor kind of it's it's what you have in this world you know you're, you're putting that out in the world also you're inspiring people to act a certain way like i really wanted to be the way i was brought up you know i, I wanted to be honorable i wanted to project love and understanding and compassion for because i knew millions of people were going to be watching me and i don't want that to be something that people are like oh look chef adrian he's just it's not, you know, he's being aggressive. Let's be aggressive in the kitchen too. You know, I wanted, I wanted to portray a way of being, and it really resonated. A lot of people reached out to me asking me about meditation, asking me about, I was in an open relationship at the time, asking me about open relationships, all these things like, you know, eating mindfully, you know, more vegetarian options, you know, things like that. So it felt good to be able to, to give that to people, you know, even if I just inspired one person, I think that's a win. Yay, that is a win. Authenticity. It's all about being your true self and it spreads, you know, it really does spread as you saw from that yeah. experience. It does. It really does. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, so let's kind of fast forward a little bit. How did you get to Oregon? I did a road trip seven years ago with my best friend. Um, we we're doing the West Coast. I had never done the West Coast in my life. I've traveled all over the world, but <laughs> I hadn't done much of America. He had an RV and um, it was in Santa Cruz. He called me up and was like, hey, let's do the coast. Let's, you know, let's go to festivals and stuff. And I had a girlfriend at the time who was going to the Beloved Festival in Oregon, which is next to Eugene. And so she called me. She's like, let's do this. Perfect. And then so we went, came up to Oregon. Had no idea what to expect. We got into Ashland. That was the first place we discovered in Oregon. Just loved it. You know, right off the bat, everybody was so cool. Good vibes, great food, good mentality, beautiful scenery. And we just kept on going up, went up to Eugene all the old growth forests, the hot springs, the Umqua, all that. We're just like, wow, this place is cool. Mm -hmm. You know, we're just really, we fell in love with it. Um, We were both 
from the Caribbean. So we had grown up on an island that's tiny where you don't have much space and it's the ocean. You know, if you don't like the ocean, you're kind of in trouble. And I love the ocean, but that's all there is. And we wanted more of a diverse scenery. We wanted seasons. We wanted land. Um, so we did that road trip, kind of fell in love with Oregon. And about eight months later, we called each other like, let's buy a property. You know, let's check out what there is in Oregon. And so we came back the summer after and bought a, a property outside of Eagle Point that we started developing then. And yeah, we've been spending mostly the summers here uh, for the past six years. And then I've been slowly moving in more and more uh, until this year. Now I've, I'm going to be spending all year here. So. Yeah, I was going to say, is it safe to say you're settling down? Yes, totally. Yeah. You got a Big baby. Time. I got a baby. I got a 15-month-old little girl. Amazing. I love that. Are you exposing her to, because I feel like you were exposed to all of these wonderful things growing up as a child. Are you doing the same for her? Oh, yeah. Yeah. When she was six months, we did a six months old. We did a three month trip. We did Guatemala, um, St. Martin, Puerto Rico, all of the East Coast, Nebraska, Texas, Colorado, and back here with her. So Beautiful. Yeah, she was really. Yeah, it was super fun. She had a great time and like she was exposed to so much food too, culture, like all sorts of things. Like we were just reading something like a month ago about trying to expose your child to like a hundred foods before they're one years old. And I was like, wow, she was probably exposed to hundred foods before she was six months. <laughs> yeah, she's just like everything. And now she's so open to it. She eats literally everything. So that's what cool. a lucky kid. I feel like that's we've done children such a disservice by allowing them to just eat pb and j and chicken nuggets for their whole entire lives it's a cop out and it just creates this thing where they don't have any food education they don't know how to take care of themselves because that's one of the biggest part of taking care of yourself is nourishing yourself so if you don't you know if you don't know how to cook for yourself or even eat just in a healthy way yeah it's a big one and the sugar as well sugar is highly addictive so when you give sugar to a young child they don't know better. And then they just crave it, crave it, crave it. And just creates these addictions at a very young age. So that's something that I would really like to work on is uh, education for, for our youth, you know, and just teach them ways to feed themselves that are awesome where, where they, they could love things like broccoli. You know, you go to the cafeteria and the broccoli is all mushy and gross. Of course, nobody likes broccoli. Broccoli is one of my favorite vegetables. If it's done right, it's the most incredible flavorful, crunchy thing. But if it's, it's mush it's gross (laughs) preach on that i think it's so important not only to teach uh youngsters about food but also how to prepare and cook food um it's just it's so incredibly important and we learn when we're like in college or out of college and i feel like that's just too late at that point yeah and you know it's like once we're in college or out of college we're so busy that a lot of people don't even take the time to learn they just go to the fast foods or all the restaurants that are very quick and to go everything now it's so easy you just go on your phone for a minute and you get a a dish coming from a restaurant in two seconds but it's like i don't know that's one of the reasons why i wanted to work in a place here like be a chef in a place here is one of the reasons why i want to do this property so we can have control on what we're making because at the end of the day you never know where food is coming from you know you never know what they're putting on it you, know, you just don't know so it's 
it's really important to have that control as well on, on your food sources, I believe. Yeah, me too. Preach, honey. Um, all right, we're going to wrap up a little bit, but I do want to talk about your current gig quickly at Parkhurst Wine Cellars. You're the executive chef. Um, and I just, that's how I met you, <clears throat> excuse me, actually, is we did a little food and wine pairing and it blew my socks off. Everything was so incredible. And I asked you this that night. Um, while the food was amazing, there was no real like flavor profile, like nothing really like kind of like came out to me strong, but that was on purpose. You did that on purpose. Explain of that. Course. Yeah. So, I mean, we're working with the wines here. So it's, if, if flavor profile is too strong, then the wines lose their power. Basically you lose that, that, that flavor from the wine. So we're really trying to work with the combination. So the wines are balanced and the foods are balanced basically. So we're trying to, if you put those two together, then you get more complex flavors, but everything we work with, we try and just balance. We'll have hints of acidity, hints of sweetness of t different texture, but it's balanced in a way that it doesn't take over the wine. Um, balance, balance in the wine, balance in the food to make it a complete tasty experience. That's it. We're really trying to showcase the wine and the food here. Um, I mean, we are mainly a winery, you know, so we're, we're, that's that's our focus is making food to showcase the wine. And then I think the wine showcases the food, too. So it's kind of a, a balance balancing act here that we're doing. Um, and yeah, trying to find fun, exciting ways to cook food that people have heard about, maybe and just put it in a different way. I was going to ask you that. It's also about exposure a little bit, too, doing something that's really completely different um, in a winery in Southern Oregon. We haven't seen a lot of pairings like this here. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's it's exciting for me because I've I've just been a private chef for so long. So putting my foot down in the valley and being able to create something like this with these beautiful people is it's it's a fun gig. You know, and just I'm all about innovation. You know, if it's done before, it's it's cool, but it's kind of boring in a sense, you know, so I just, want to, I just want to push the boundaries of what people are used to. And that's what Mark and Susan want to do too. You know, we just want to go further in what people expect. Michael as well, the head of um, the GM and the head of service is just like phenomenal. Him and his crew do such a good job in explaining everything. And, and they helped us a lot with the wine pairings too. So we tasted everything together and then came up with logical pairings together. And that's what we're just going to keep on doing as the menu evolves. Yeah. Well, I'm very excited that you're here in Southern Oregon, and I'm going to stop in and see you as much as I can. Um, I want to wrap up and get to the final three quickly, because you got to go back to work. Um, yeah. <laughs> best advice you've ever been given? I'd say it was, it was from my father. Um, your honor is your word. And that's something that's just kept me strong my whole life. You know, it's whatever you say, do it, or you better have a good reason not to, you know. <laughs> and it's just... Yeah, I think that's our, our honor is is one of the things that keeps us strong, you know, and keeps us having faith in ourselves, I think. And and just yeah. That that's what keeps me going every day. Mm. You know, it's like I know that what I say I'm gonna do. And that's what people see in me as well. So they know that I'm reliable. That's why my yacht chefing career has been so successful because people can call me at any time, anywhere. They call me up and ask me to do something and I say, yes, they know I'm going to do it. And that's such a big one. You know, the in the chefing industry, especially the culinary industry, a lot of people are 
all over the place. There's some crazy shows. I mean, I'm crazy, but there's some crazy shows, you know? So it's, I think it's nice for people to know that they can count on me. I love that. That's so important too. And you're right. It is very rare. Uh, what's your happy place? The farm. We have this uh, property in, uh, in Eagle Point that's just phenomenal. Uh, this place is, it's 23 acres, just forests, ponds, rivers. It's like, it's Disneyland, Peter Pan. <laughs> meets Dali. It's just like, really, it's a wonderful place that we've just been developing. We've been building everything out of reclaimed wood and we're fully off the grid. It's, it's a really fun place. Beautiful. It is Disneyland. Dis- Disneyland, Southern Oregon style. Um, That's it. In all things food and drink, what do you crave? What always sounds good? Peking duck probably is one of my favorites. Really? <laughs> I love, yeah, I love but, but like Peking duck in, in Beijing, you know, like the one that's like super crispy skin, super soft meat with like the little crepes and the hoisin sauce. And, oh, yes. Thank you. Um, sticky rice as well. Um, I, I'd say Asian food is my big, you know, Asian food in general, when it's really well done, has flavors that are just like really. But then at the same time, it just depends where I'm at, the weather, whatever, you know, on a hot day, a nice ceviche yeah um drink wise cadillac margarita probably in the evening mm. to do a cadillac margarita but i think that's really nice um a nice glass of like our sparkling brute rosé it's really so good really nice as well yeah that's one of my favorites um it's just really light and uplifting um yeah honestly i like it all oh yay you have been so much fun thank you for doing this I know, um, I know you have to get back to work, but I really appreciate you opening up and talking to me. And you're really funny. I didn't expect you to be so funny. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I love a funny human. Um, Adrian Martin, um, again, thank you so much. And if you're in the Southern Oregon area or traveling to Southern Oregon, go see him at Parkhurst Wine Cellars and go taste some of his fabulous food and the wine pairings that they have there. Thank you so much again. Thank you, Trish. Thanks for your time. You've been listening to Hungry for More, an Epicurean's Dilemma with me, Trish Glose. You can watch this podcast and subscribe on my YouTube channel. Just search Hungry for More, an Epicurean's Dilemma. You can also listen and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts.